Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. It's day 89 of the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, obviously not a situation anyone really is thrilled about, but there still is a lot of baseball being played on the high school side, the college side, and we're continuing to roll through our Top 10 Prospects podcast series. We're talking about the Los Angeles Angels farm system today, and to do that, we are joined by Mike DiGiovanna of the Los Angeles Times. Mike was the Angels' longtime beat writer. I even grew up reading him back in the day, and uh, Mike has been our correspondent here for the Angels at BA for how long now have you been doing this for us, Mike? I've lost track, Kyle. <laughs> Probably too long, uh, if your readers have any say. <laughs> uh, nah, hey, we, we keep you around because we love you and you're great. <laughs> Appreciate but, it. <laughs> so with that, Mike, I mean – I feel like we kind of talk about the same thing every year. This is the sixth year I've been doing this podcast with you. And it's a lot of times been the same storyline. The Angels have one of the best players, not just in baseball, but in baseball history. You add that to the most uniquely talented player in baseball history who won the MVP award last year in the American League with an unprecedented two-way season. Despite that, this is a team that has now had six consecutive losing seasons, another losing season last year going 77 and 85. First year under new general manager, Perry Manassian, uh, brought in a lot of new people in the front office, new farm director, a new pro scouting director. Uh, they reassigned some things on the amateur side. So they are making changes, uh, but in terms of uh, immediate results, they didn't really come in 2021. Where is this organization? Again, you start with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. That's a great place to start. But obviously, it just hasn't been enough to get this team to a winning record, let alone the postseason in recent years. Yeah, I think before the lockout, there was some progress uh, in terms of adding some pitching. You know, they go out and sign Noah Syndergaard. Whether he's healthy or not, I think a one-year contract, even though it's a good chunk of change, was a good gamble for them. Because uh, if he, he, you know, if he looks anything like the Noah Syndergaard we were used to seeing a couple years ago, that's going to be a nice ad. You know, they 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 struck out in their attempts to to sign you know a guy like Max Scherzer, uh, so or a front front of the rotation guy. So there's still you know some work to be done in terms of bolstering the front of the rotation. But I think a lot of what this team is relying on this year is going to just be a, the return to health of. Mike Trout and mainly him and Anthony Rendon. You know, there's the two middle of the order guys who they missed for most of last season. And it's just asking way too much uh, uh, to expect that team to contend without those two guys. Uh, you know, they've done some good work in the bullpen, you know, re-signing the closer, getting the lefty, uh, Aaron Loop. Uh, so I think they have two or three guys back there who could, you know, are pretty competitive in terms of you know, a championship caliber, bull, caliber bullpen, but still a lot of work to be done in the rotation. And, uh, you know, they need, <laughs> I keep saying one of these days, one of these years, they have to get lucky in terms of health uh, and sort of putting the, you know, good health and, you know, decent production together. Maybe this is it. I don't know, but they, they need Trout and they need Rendon healthy and performing up to their, you know, capabilities to contend. Yeah, you mentioned 
kind of relying on a lot of the guys they have in the majors right now. This farm system does rank 29th in Major League Baseball, so it's not like there's a ton of immediate help coming, although there is one pitcher in particular who can help. I I do think it is notable, though, that the Angels do have a couple of players who are kind of in that nether region where they've graduated from prospect status, but they haven't become established major leaguers yet. You look at Joe Adele, you look at Brandon Marsh, uh, guys like Jose Suarez and Patrick Sandoval actually had solid seasons last year, really took some steps forward. Adele was much better second time around. You know, Marsh went through some struggles, but all young players do. It does feel like the kind of infusion of young talent that the Angels need is probably going to come from the young big leaguers they have. Yeah, those guys have to st- take a step forward for sure. And yeah, I think you can throw in Griff- throw Griffin Canning into that mix. Absolutely. Too. As a guy who showed some potential and got hurt last year and, you know, is coming back, should be coming back healthy this year. Chris Rodriguez, another guy who showed a lot of promise and unfortunately suffered a shoulder injury. He's probably going to miss most of this year. Uh, Yeah, I guess if you you want to look at the glass half full with the farm system, yeah, we're not number 30. Uh, And you could also argue that they have graduated guys like Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh and Canning and Suarez from that system. So that's going to take a chunk out of your prospect pool. Uh, But yeah, Joe Adele, I was encouraged by what I saw last year, especially when you saw what happened in 2020. Brandon Marsh, I think, just had your typical rookie kind of, you know, growing pains in terms of, you know, no matter how, how hey, I, I watched Mike Trout get, get it handed to him for a couple of months when he was 19 up in that summer of uh, 2011. It takes a little time. It's an adjustment. Uh, but defensively, Brandon Marsh looks ready, you know, as a really, you know, top-notch center fielder. Joe made a lot of strides defensively this last year, and I think offensively as well. So, yeah, to me, you know, you have um, Justin Upton at the end of his deal, you know, Trout, uh, you know, Adele, one of these guys is going to have to play every day. And once Upton, uh, his contract expires, you know, you could be looking at an outfield of Trout, Adele, and Marsh. And if those two kids are ready to step up, that's not a bad outfield. So, yeah, they have some things going for them. Uh, But, you know, once again, it's going to probably boil down to how they pitch. Yeah, and on that note, as you mentioned again, you can kind of dream of Shohei Otani, you know, staying healthy as he did last year, performing well, Suarez, Sandoval taking steps forward, you signed Syndergaard. Um, but this is a team that has really struggled to have guys stay healthy and log consistent innings. Otani was their only starter for throw more than 100 innings last year. And then we mentioned Syndergaard's injury concerns. With that, the Angels pretty aggressively uh, tried to address their organizational pitching depth last year, selecting a pitcher with all 20 of their draft picks. And in 2020, their first round pick was a pitcher as well, Reed Detmers. Detmers is now the number one prospect in the system, shot through the minors to the majors last year, only one year after being drafted. Again, went through some rookie struggles, showed some promise, got knocked around a little bit some other times. What are kind of the assessments of Reed Detmers? How realistic is it that he's ready to log a full season in the Angels rotation this year? And ultimately, what is his realistic outcome? To answer that second question, I think it's very realistic. Um, unless they, you know, make a trade for a really high-end front, 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 front of the rotation starter, uh, he has a very good shot of winning a rotation spot because with Otani, you're still looking at a six-man rotation. Um, what are his realistic uh, expectations? I, 
even though to me, you know, his velo did tick up a little bit last year, he strikes me as one of those, <clears throat> and this is a really broad generalization, as a um, high floor, low ceiling guy. Now, that's not necessarily bad. You know, the, the league needs number three and number four starters. Uh, to me, he could be a really good middle uh, number three, number four type of starter because he, his stuff just to me is not overpowering. However, Tom Glavin wasn't overpowering. You know, there's a lot of really good left-handers who were not, who are not, and who were not overpowering. <clears throat> He's really polished. Came out of college with a, a you know four-pitch mix that was, you know, uh, didn't need a ton of work. He has picked up a little in the velo. Uh, his slider's improved. He's got a really big curve and and a changeup that's coming along. And and once with a guy like him, it's going to be you know sequencing command, keeping hitters off balance. He has the repertoire to do that. I just, you know, to me with Otani and now Syndergaard, I don't know that he's going to jump to a top of that rotation anytime soon. But to me, he has a higher a higher ceiling than a guy like Suarez, maybe even a, a little higher ceiling than Canning, just not, you know, the, num- the, the Sam Bachman type of ceiling where, you know, a guy throws 99-100 with a really nasty – slider so i don't i don't you know sometimes we get hung up on these you know these this terminology i'm okay with reed detmers not having the highest ceiling if he can be a you know a regular contributing consistent member of a rotation and i think he has that uh, potential yeah i mean again a number three starter is is certainly not a bad outcome and, and that does generally seem to be the idea number three some people go number four but good, consistent, durable, can come at you with four pitches. And I think what was most intriguing was seeing, because a lot of times I think in general in the prospect world, people assume the high school guy's stuff is really going to jump, whereas the college guy's stuff, maybe it takes up a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, His ticked up pretty significantly. He was sitting 93, 95 a lot of the year in the minors, touching some 97s. And really he found a grip on his slider that really worked for him, kind of discovered it actually in a parking lot during the alternate site, messing around with uh, Chris Rodriguez and all of a sudden adding a, a slider to his repertoire, uh, just another power offering, it kind of changed who he was a little bit. And I think that just seeing that progression of this is a guy that's still getting better, it's a really nice thing for the Angels to have because just again, just to be frank, they need that desperately. Yeah, and they don't need him to throw 97, 98. When you have the off-speed repertoire that he has, your fastball is going to play up a little bit. You know, I'm not saying he reminds me of Jared Washburn, but, you know, back in the day, Jared Washburn was, you always heard guys talk about that late life. You know, the ball has that late rise, even though, you know, uh, I think scientifically, I'm not sure a ball actually rises. Maybe it does, but, you know, he has that kind of action on his fastball. And when you mix in the curve, the slider, the changeup, you know, the fastball is going to play up a little bit just because, you know, it's going to be so much faster than his other three pitches. So, once again, it's going to come out, come down to command, sequencing, confidence, you know, getting ahead. There, there's just so many other things that play, come into play in the big leagues uh, beyond, beyond pure stuff. Absolutely. And, and hey, if he's Jared Washburn, it's an 18-game winner on a World Series championship team. Yeah, the Angels will definitely take that. <laughs> Mike, was there really any debate for anyone else to be number one in this system, or was it Reed Detmer's pretty clear-cut? 
In my head, mind, uh, I looked at Sam Bachman just because of the stuff. Now, <laughs> he, you know, I didn't see him pitching college. I, I hear all the scouts talk about him. I, I talked to a lot of people about him, and you see the repertoire, and you look at the velo, and you look at the the, the spin rates on the slider, and 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 the ground ball rates, and you know, I think he gave up something like twenty nine hits and fifty nine innings as a college uh, junior. Uh, to me, when a guy throws 99 to 100 and he's a starter and he's pretty dominant, you know, as a college pitcher, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be like Walker Bueller coming up, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff Walker Bueller had. You know, he didn't, Walker Bueller didn't have a great third pitch, as I recall, coming out of Vanderbilt. You know, these guys, uh, when you can throw that hard, you have, to me, you have a higher ceiling. And so I did consider him at number one just because of the pure stuff. But when I factored in the polish, the uh, sort of how close Reed is, well, he, he reached the big leagues. So, you know, he's, he's obviously a little, uh, a lot closer in terms of winning a rotation spot. And then I looked at his track record in the minor league so far. And, you know, that's something Sam, he's just drafted so he doesn't have that yet. Uh, it was a close call. Uh, it could. I'm not saying it could have gone either way, but I just think when you looked at the, the overall package, I think Detmers is just a, a slight, slightly ahead of a guy like Bachman right now. Yeah, one of the things that stood out about Bachman was you mentioned the stuff was explosive in college. It was a mid-major, and, and he did struggle a little bit to last deep into his starts. He averaged less than five innings a start. But once he got out into pro ball and just getting some of the pro eyes on him, the word that came up in uh, one of the reports was overwhelming in describing his stuff. I mean, 94, 96, touching 99s, and with command, that was one thing that was kind of a question with him. That mm-hmm. slider was coming in at 90 miles an hour mm-hmm. with all the spin rates and the crazy shape it has and then it just you know everything played it was sink and run on the fastball I mean everything just the stuff just seemed to really really stand out what is his ceilings some people have had starter reliever questions based on your discussions with people within the organization you know what's the realistic outlook here yeah it's funny all the things you just all the uh attributes you just mentioned what do you think of a dominant closer <laughs> you know what comes to mind immediately you know, faded a little bit as he got goes deeper into the games. The stuff seems to wane a little bit. But once again, you know, he's just coming out of college. Uh, he, I'm not saying he should. I mean, he got the high A, you know, a guy coming out of college with a number nine pick. He should dominate hitters at that level. So we'll see what happens when he gets to double A. Um, I just think it's with that kind of stuff, you, you mix in, you know, the, the off-season program that, you know, the trainers he's going to have access to, the strength and conditioning guys uh, or people he's going to have access to uh, in a big league organization. Um, The coaching, you know, there are all these factors that make you not want to just give up on him being a starter right now. So uh, what is his ceiling? I can, if he, you know, builds up the stamina, the endurance, uh, that you, you know, if he follows just a good trajectory along those lines, uh, he's to me he's certainly got, you know, number two, um, you know, maybe number one, depending on who your ace is, uh, kind of kind of a ceiling with that kind of stuff. And I do think if he's going to stay in the rotation, he'll probably need to add, you know, a third pitch, uh, which for him, you know, I'm guessing it'll be a change up, 
may, I don't know if you want to mess so much with a fourth pitch right now, uh, but you know this guy's got a big, big body. He's a strong kid. He throws hard. And the other thing, you know, you mentioned the Angels drafting twenty pitchers, and I think we all know why. But I think one thing that gives me a little more hope for that organization is they they drafted they 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 went for different kinds of pitchers. They're looking for guys who miss bats. Uh, who have an, a more of aggressive mindset. And that's not to knock Reed Detmers, but, you know, he's not a guy who's going to miss a ton of bats in the big leagues. Sam Bachman is, you know, Kai Bush, big lefty uh, they drafted. Uh, you know, these are kids with, with high-end stuff and, and, and the ability to miss bats. And frankly, those are the types of guys, I, I, you know, like when they drafted Detmers, why didn't they draft Bobby Miller out of the same rotation? They could have had him. To me, Bobby Miller has a higher ceiling than Reed Demers. So it's good to see them sort of get a little more aggressive with some of their pitching drafts. Yeah, Sam Bachman, as is, is not far off the top 100 here for us at Baseball America. So seeing what he looks like when he comes out this year after that first offseason, as you mentioned, it's certainly an intriguing possibility that he comes out and he's bigger, he's stronger, he's holding the stuff deeper into games. Cause if he is, you're right. Then he's the type of pitching prospect the angels haven't had in a while. Mike Detmers was their first round pick in 2020 Bachman, their first round pick in 2021. They traded their 2019 first round pick Will Wilson pretty quickly. Their first round pick in 2018 was Jordan Adams. At the time he was a multi-sport athlete, could have gone to North Carolina on a football scholarship, ultimately decided to sign with the angels. You were banking on just kind of the raw athleticism turning into baseball skill. After an an okay pro debut, uh, he really, really struggled coming out of the shutdown the 2021 season, missed time with a hamstring injury. And when he got back to high A, it was just a a really, really, really rough season. Hit 217, didn't hit for a lot of power in games. Strikeout rate was nearly 40%. Uh, The numbers were not good. The scouting reports were not good. Where is Jordan Adams right now? Yeah, you pretty much uh, nailed the description. I think I think there was a little disappointment from an organizational standpoint because he did show so much promise at the alternate site in 2020. Uh, and he, I don't know that he took a step back, but he definitely seemed to plateau in a couple of those areas you mentioned. Uh, from everything I hear defensively, this guy could be an elite center fielder, you know, not just a, an average, but an elite center fielder when you combine the speed. Uh, his instincts have improved. He's gotten, he's getting better jumps. He's taking better routes. He's got a pretty strong arm. I mean, so that's encouraging, but I think as in a lot of these young guys who with so much potential, I think he gets into trouble when his, his swing gets a little long. I, you know, I, I don't watch these guys on a daily basis. I don't know if he's trying to hit home runs or trying to hit for too much power, but it, it does seem like if with his speed, if you just improve the, the bat to ball, you know, get more, con- more contact, more consistent, hard contact, whether they're home runs or in the gap, he's going to be a productive hitter. So uh, I guess the good thing is he's still, uh, what is he, 21 now? He's still pretty young. Uh, uh, there's no need to get a reason to feel like he's, you know, you're going to give up on him. He's got so much athleticism. I think we've had him as our, our best athlete in the system going on two or three years now. So still a lot of potential, still a lot, uh, a lot of potential for growth, you know, a lot of growth, uh, a lot of room for growth. Uh, it's going to be a pivotal year for him, though. You know, it'll be interesting to see 
where they start him, uh, where they want to challenge him at double A, or if they, they probably, you know, they'll probably send him back to Tri-City is my guess. Uh, hopefully he can sort of, I don't know about, you know, dominate that league, but have some success there so they can move them up to double A, which is, a as you know, a big step for a lot of these prospects. So good, good interesting guy to keep an eye on this year for sure. Yeah, as you mentioned, his swing needs a lot of work, especially uh, when he came back from his hamstring injury, what kept coming up, just a long swing, getting beat by fastballs. He's still just very, very, very raw as a hitter. And uh, there's a real risk. It's it's a, a 30 grade bat on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, which is is not what you want. It's not an everyday player. Was there a lot of debate about whether or not he should still be in the top five in this organization? Did you think about dropping uh, him? Top five. I mean, there's a reason this organization is ranked 29th. <laughs> and I don't mean that to be flippant or a wise guy, but uh, you know, the, once you get into the bottom of the top 10, it, it starts to thin out. You know, there's a lot of guys back there who are really young, dynamic, you know, high ceiling middle infielders with, with all sorts of potential. And they're just really high risk. Uh, and there's a lot of guys who are, you know, touch the big leagues. You know, the Angels had like, I think a dozen pitchers make their big league debuts this, year, uh, this past year. But how many of them are really prospects? You know, frankly, not that many. Maybe Austin Warren uh, showed some potential, but a lot of these guys, they're, they're just kind of depth. So there's not a lot of high-end talent in the organization. So with a guy like uh, Jordan Adams, I think he's because he's still very young and because he, you know, he hasn't uh, taken any steps back as an athlete, and I think he has taken some strides forward defensively, I just think, you know, could he have been five to 10? Maybe, but I certainly think he's still worthy of, you know, remaining in the top 10. Two other dynamic up the middle athletes who missed some time with injuries last year, but performed when they were on the field were Kyron Paris and Jeremiah Jackson. Uh, they began the season together as the middle infield at low eight inland empire. Paris missed a big chunk of the season with a, a non-displaced fracture in his fibula. Jackson suffered a pretty serious quad strain, but when they were on the field, they showed you some things. Kyron Paris in particular was very, very impressive. I got to see a lot of him. Consistent hard contact, gap to gap, just a really mature approach and hitter to go with uh, fantastic speed and base stealing instincts. And then Jackson got off to a really, really slow start. But once he made some swing adjustments, you know, shortened up a little bit, you saw just the enormous power start to come out in games. And it was really a shame because he was really on fire and starting to heat up before he went down with that quad strain what's the general outlook on these two right now how do evaluators see them and, and what can the angels expect from them moving forward yeah I mean Paris is really intriguing just because uh, I think he was I'm pretty sure he was still 19 last year when he when he touched high a which you know you know I'm not saying it's unheard of but that's pretty good for a 19 year old um, and I guess the thing that intrigues me about him is most I don't most kids his age, middle infielders, don't seem to have the upside offensively. You know, it's a lot of defensive skills, a lot of, you know, smooth fielding. You know, the Luis Soto types uh, were really good defensively. And this kid has some pop. And as you mentioned, with his speed, you know, he, he can be a doubles, triples guy. Uh, that's pretty good for a shortstop, you know. 
So I, I think he's interesting just because of his age and his upside. Um, and, you know, he hits the opposite field too, which once again, for, for a kid his age, uh, to make pretty solid, consistent contact to the, you know, the other way is pretty encouraging. And uh, what do you hit? Like out of a 924 OPS, I think I'm seeing at, at low A. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, these aren't bad numbers. So I think he's a guy who you can still dream on a little bit. Uh, defensively, he's, you know, probably as raw as you'd expect for a kid his age. Um, more throwing errors, I think, uh, than fielding, just with some footwork issues. Um, arm strength, not sure he'll stick it short, but he could be a good second baseman, you know. So, and boy, when you combine that offense at second base, even better. Um, Jackson, um, you know, the thing about him is you look at what he did in the short spurt last year. That wasn't a fluke. What he, uh, The year before, didn't he set a record uh, for home runs in the Pioneer League or something? Yeah, in 2019, he set a Pioneer League record for home runs in a single season. That's right. It was the last full season. Uh, so, I mean, similar uh, – maybe similar upside as, as Paris, but with some more power potential. Um we're talking about a guy with 30 homer potential in the big leagues. So once again, it's going to be, can he make consistent contact? Um, can he, can he figure out a strike zone and not, 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 not expand that strike zone? That's, you know, swing it pitchers, pitches. Uh, a lot of these guys, uh, they're just so young and they're so raw, but I think with Jeremiah, he has special power and, uh, if you can, uh, you know, there's some people who think he may end up at center field. I don't know, but if he can stick at shortstop uh, with that kind of power potential, maybe, <laughs> maybe in three years, you know, he's playing short and Kyrene Paris is playing second base uh, in the big leagues and, you know, could be a pretty intriguing uh, uh, double play combo. So I think with, with Jackson, he's just really loose. He's got great actions. He's, He's explosive in terms of his swing. He's probably still got some physical room to grow. He could get bigger and even stronger. Uh, it's just going to be making that consistent contact, you know, keeping those strikeouts in, uh, in a manageable range uh, so he's not getting himself out. So, Yeah, one of the things that intrigued me about Jackson is when I saw him early when the season started in May, uh, just to be frank, it, it was ugly. He was swinging and missing. He, and he wasn't close. I mean, he was way late on almost anything, chasing balls up, uh, just, you know, really did not have good at bats, to be frank. But then he adjusted after those first couple of weeks. Uh, you look at his final 20 games before he went down with an injury. He had 325, 377 with a 701 slug. There were still some strikeouts in there, a little higher you know, rate than you'd like to see. But just seeing him make some adjustments, and pretty quickly, again, we're talking about two, three weeks, made an adjustment and he started to take off. I thought that was really encouraging, just seeing the ability to do that. Because, I mean, it was really, really, really bad early. And then it got really, really, really good very quickly. Yeah, we, I guess we kind of describe him as sort of a boomer bust approach. But, you know, I've used that... Uh, to describe a lot of big league hitters, you know, uh, I mean, I'm never not a big fan of strikeouts, but you, you do accept a strikeout in a guy's game, but you can't strike out so much where you're not having competitive at bats. And, 
I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a coach. I'm not a player development guy. You remember when we were young, what do they always tell you? You got to cut down on your swing a little bit. You can't be swinging for home runs. So there's a happy medium uh, in there somewhere for this kid. Uh, Will he find it? You know, for him, I think it's another key year for him. He's probably going to, you know, I would assume they'd like to see him touch, you know, get up to double A this year and, and maybe even put himself in a position to, play at triple a so um it's all about contact with him he's he's got the power he's got the natural power uh and, you know you look at his build what i think he's like six three what is uh what is this weight i'm trying to look right here oh six foot 180 i mean this guy could get bigger he could get stronger uh he turns 22 in march i mean He's probably not physically, you know, filled out to where he's going to be. So still a lot of upside, uh, you know, if he can cut down the strikeouts and just make consistent contact, yeah, he's going to factor in there somewhere. All right, Michael, this was the clear cut top five of the system. I want to touch on the guys who are six to 10, as well as some of the guys in the back of the system who are a little bit intriguing. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back with Mike DiGiovanna breaking down the Los Angeles Angels farm system. All right, Mike, we talked about the top five, a mix of former first-round picks, you know, athletic guys in the lower levels of the minors who excite you a little bit. But as you talked about, there isn't a ton of depth. And really, by the time you get to the back of the top 10, you're kind of going, I don't know, it's a long shot or there's not a lot of ceiling here. I feel like it's safe to say the top five in the system were the clear-cut top five. How many of these guys in the six to 10 range were, were clear cut top 10 guys versus guys that you really had to kind of think about were maybe more on the fence? I think Kai Bush, uh, just because of it, you know, big bodied left hander. And to me, because of his velocity, his, I think he's got a pretty good four pitch mix coming out of college, big bodied left hander. I liked him definitely uh, in the seven to 10. Um, one of the guys I struggled with was Errol Vera, just because he's, you know, so young and uh, a guy I really haven't seen, you know, put eyeballs on even in spring training. 
but you hear a lot of talk about him and, and the Denzer Guzman kids, same boat, you know, he's just kids born in 2004. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> I've literally got t-shirts older than this kid. And uh, so it's just really extreme, you know, pro uh, in terms of uh, risk, you know, uh, really extreme uh, for, uh, for, for, but his tools, you know, are pretty good right now. Um, and I, I can't remember if Alexander Ramirez made the top 10. Uh, him I struggle with just because, you know, he's probably the guy with the most power potential in the system, yet I don't I don't see him as a 30 home run guy in the big league. So once again, I think you're uh, when you talk about a, the depth of an organization tailing off, these are all guys who, you know, in another organization probably wouldn't be in the top 10. So I think the only lock for me in that group was uh, Kai Bush. Yeah, doing a lot of our California draft coverage here for us at Baseball America, I got to see a lot of Kai Bush last year and really watch his rise. At the beginning of the year, he was a guy that was in the mix to go in that fifth to seventh round range, depending on how he performed. And he just continued to get better. The stuff ticked up, the body cleaned up. And again, another guy who, yes, he's a college guy, but he's still growing. He's still getting better. This is a guy who took a big jump last year and you're right. He's now a six foot five, 240 pound lefty. Who's durable with better control and, and some power stuff from the left side. That's a really good place to start. And I think with Vera, what was interesting as well is you'll remember when he signed, he was a really big deal and people were really excited about him, immediate top 10 prospect. And then during the shutdown, he got way too heavy and people, <laughs> including in the angels organization were, were much you know, lower on him. Then he came back out this year was in better shape. And for the most part, the reviews were pretty good. He's definitely an offense over defense type, probably going to move to third base. He's still a bigger kid, but um, he's a good hitter, you know, a lot of doubles, good approach, patient, can still grow into power. And I thought it was nice to see someone that had already kind of had some ups and downs, despite not really playing, kind of starting to trend back in the right direction. Yeah. And I shouldn't be one to criticize a kid for his weight, but I didn't sign a 2 million bonus. <laughs> yeah. He, I think the, the, the pandemic affected players in so many different ways. And, you know, Vera was a guy who was definitely impacted in a negative way. He did put on some weight in, in places you don't want a middle infielder to put on weight. And from everything I gather in terms of the scouts this past year, he was still a little thick in the lower half, but not as thick as he was, you know, the year before. Uh, I think the actions are still good. He's a really uh, smooth, you know, fielding uh, middle infielder, uh, really strong arm, looks like a kid who could stick at shortstop. And, uh, you know, he's a switch hitter too, you know. That's, well, once again, this is a kid who I think he's going to be 19 this year, you know, start of the season. Um, maybe not huge power, but certainly gap to gap, you know, maybe 15 homer kind of kid, uh, defensively looks really strong right now. So, you know, I, I, am not sure where he is on the track right now, cause he's so young. Uh, I'm not sure where, I'll, you know, I assume we'll start at maybe a low a this year or maybe in Arizona. Uh, but you know, the guy, they made a big investment you know, uh, into, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, but definitely, I like the switch hitter. Uh, I like the smooth actions. I like the defensive potential at this point.
Yeah, absolutely. Again, he's someone that you certainly see some promise and some upside with. And, and you mentioned Denzer Guzman, uh, obviously another high-profile international signee. We have to see him actually playing some games, but um, a lot of people are very, very high on him. Yeah, it seemed like this 9-10 range is where it really kind of opened up. How many different players were in the mix for these final two spots for you? Uh, I think at least four to six because I think the – yeah, I think there were probably – uh, I think Chase Silseth was a guy I might have had in my top 10 uh, who bunk up, bumped down to 11 or 12 or 13. Uh, and, you know, Austin Warren, uh, I just looked at what he did in the big leagues last year. You know, I mean, we all these guys are prospects until they're big leaguers or they're not. And, you know, to me, even though Austin Warren physically, stuff-wise, he, he doesn't maybe – like if he didn't make the big leagues last year – you wouldn't project him as like a top 10, top 15 guy in your system. And I think going into last year, he, he was barely in the 30. But, you know, he performed at the big league level in a sample size that wasn't that tiny. Uh, you know, I think he pitched in, what, uh, 16 games, 1.77 ERA, uh, 20 strikeouts and in 20 innings, five walks. I mean, he by last summer, you know, going into September, he was pitching high leverage in the big leagues for the Angels. So to me, you can't discount that. Uh, he's maybe a guy, you know, if I had final say, might have made my top 10. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the point of prospects is to get big leaguers. And there's a very, very real scenario where Austin Warren, when we look back five, 10 years from now, has had a better big league career than all but a couple of guys on this list. Yeah, he already has. <laughs> yeah. Mike, even, you know, systems that are not considered that great, there's always guys that really pop. And to use an Angels example, uh, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, you'll remember the Angels system was not great either. And Cole Calhoun was consistently ranked outside their top 10. And he's obviously gone on to a very, very successful big league career. So there's always guys, even in bad systems, that kind of surprise you or pop. Who are maybe some guys that are outside the top 10 or in the back half of the system that you think maybe have a chance to surprise some people? Yeah, we. that's funny. Covering Cole all those years, we often had that talk. And uh, the chip he always had in his shoulder because of that was probably would have knocked him up a couple of rounds in that draft. Uh, boy, you know, from 10 to 20, uh, there's a lot of guys uh, on the list here, the, you know, the uh, Jose Marte types who touched the big leagues. And uh, I guess if I had, well, uh, I'm looking at some of the guys, like uh, one guy I heard a lot about this winter and doing the handbook, and it's, he's an international signing, is Adrian Placentia. Placentia. And, uh, you know, He's not a, he wasn't in the draft. I'm not sure where he would have gone in the draft. Uh, not a, you know, 1.1 million bonus, so not a massive big bonus guy. Uh, but he's a guy, uh, you know, switch hitter who's made a lot of progress this past year. Uh, he's a guy who I think might be a little bit of a sleeper. And I guess the only other guy I might put in there um, is this, uh, we mentioned earlier, Chase Silseth, who is an 11th round pick. Um, you know, he started his career at Tennessee as a reliever. Uh, then he went to JUCO during the pandemic. And then by the time he's a junior, uh, he's at uh, Arizona. He's like the Friday night starter. So, you know, 8-1 and one, uh, in 18 games, uh, to me, that's a pretty good jump. Uh, he, I heard a lot of good things about uh, 
you know, we were lucky to get this guy in, in the 11th round, you know. Uh, so he's a guy who might be a sleeper type, you know, in that Cole Calhoun vein, a guy who wasn't drafted really high. Uh, you know, this kid out pitched uh, rocker uh, in the College World Series. So, you know, uh, remains to be seen, but, it, you know, kid throws in the mid-90s, uh, pretty good slider, pretty good curve, throws a splitter, you know, 11th round pick. You never know, but uh, if he moves quick, he could be one of those guys who you'll look at as, you know, kind of being a steal uh, considering where he was drafted. One guy that I do have to ask about is Michael Stefanik. You talk about guys who uh, didn't, don't come from much. He was an undrafted free agent signee out of uh, Westmont College, by no means a, a significant guy. And in a lot of ways, when the Angels signed him, they acknowledged it was kind of a roster filler to uh, you know fill in some holes in the Arizona League. And he went out last year and finished tied for fifth in the minors with a 336 batting average across double A and triple A tied for second in the minors and hits again, doing at the minors highest levels. What is Michael Stefanik's outlook? What is the report on him? How do you kind of balance his, you know, what his performance with, with more lukewarm scouting reviews? Yeah, I guess the fact that he, you know, I had him in my low twenties, maybe mid twenties on the prospect list. And he's the top, you know, I think we are for best tools. He was like the top, you know, hitter for average uh, in the system. You know, that kind of tells you a little bit about the system right there. Uh, you know, yeah, here, uh, I think I've heard uh, maybe a David Fletcher, not, not really comp, but similar type, uh, you know, smallish guy. Fletcher can play short. He can play third. I think Stefanik defensively is a lot more limited. I think you're looking at second base, uh, and that's probably going to be it. Um, but, yeah, you look at his numbers. I mean, he's performed at every level. I mean, he's, he's hit like 330-something at AAA, you know, and a pretty fair amount of games, you know, at least 104 games. So, I mean – is he going to be a you know an impact player in the big leagues? I'm not seeing it, but can he be a you know a, a you know if rosters expand, maybe a 25th, 26th, 27th guy in the roster? Can he maybe uh, be a part-time DH, maybe utility guy who fills in? He's going to have to you know learn how to play third base and to play it well. Uh, I don't think he necessarily has to be a, you know be able to play shortstop to be a utility player. There's a lot of guys who play third, second, you know, mixing a little corner outfield. But once again, it, what's the old saying? It, it, you, If he can hit, you know, you'll find a place for him. You know, he still hasn't done it. He still hasn't touched the big leagues, but uh, he's put up some numbers in triple A and double A that you have, that you have to take into account. You know, you can't just discount a kid who's, in 330 at AAA was with a pretty good pop, you know, 16 homers, 21 doubles, 913 OPS. Uh, and that's in a pretty big sample size uh, at AAA. So, you know, I've seen guys like him win jobs out of spring training, you know, uh, win, win big league, you know, who's the guy uh, from Anaheim? His name is escaping me. Uh, Rojas. Uh, Jose Rojas. Uh, Rojas was in the system for years. All he did was hit. Every spring training, this guy rave reviews. The coaches love him. You know, he, he plays a little second, plays some third. 
just hits. You know, he, he spent a fair amount of time in the big leagues the last year too. So there, there are room for guys who can hit. He might force his way onto the roster at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that came out just talking to people who were seeing him, scouts and Angels officials, is like I said, he can hit. It's legit. He consistently barrels up baseballs, hits them back up the middle, and just consistently a lot of singles, doubles. Um, you know, the power might have been Salt Lake, but there are a lot of people out there who think if you give him enough at bats, he might hit 270, a lot of singles and doubles. The issue is, as you mentioned, he's just not a very good defender. I mean, Fletcher, as we've seen, can really do some special things at both second and short. And Stefanik, he's just, even though he's small, he's kind of slow. He's a 20-grade <laughs> runner with a 40-grade arm. So there's not a lot of range or arm strength, so you don't really know where to put him defensively. And that's where there's going to be some some questions. But you're right. I mean, there are guys who can hit. And you, you mentioned Jose Rojas. And Rojas was left-handed, but similar deal. He third base, second base was, was not great. The Angels put him in the outfield at times last year, which was – a mistake as, as we saw, no one really ever thought that should have happened, but again, he can hit and there's room for that. And I, I think Stefanik definitely fits that mold of, like you said, he might end up having, a, you know, more games in the big leagues and a lot of these other guys ahead of him who are these, you know, younger guys with tons of tools, but may not be able to hit or pitchers who throw hard, but can't find the strike zone for any length of time. And sometimes these guys just end up sticking around for a little bit. It's funny. I think back to a guy like a Johnny Giovatella who Lord knows was Mm -hmm. not particularly toolsy or anything. And he was able to find himself, you know, parts of seven seasons in the big leagues. I mean, it it happens. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Mike, as we've talked about this system, it's, it's not great. It's 29th in the majors. There's not a lot of depth, but I do think, again, that kind of group of guys who are in that zone in between prospects and big leaguer, there's promise there. You have Otani, you have Trout. If Noah Syndergaard stays healthy for this year, you know, maybe that helps. I mean, realistically, what is the outlook for the Angels to get back to a winning record and then eventually the postseason? Because at the end of the day, that's the point of all this. Yeah, I think some of this might be determined by work. If Carlos Correa leaves the Astros, that's going to put a big dent in their roster. Uh, still not sure what's going on with Verlander, and, and you know their pitching is their rotation's taking a hit. I think the Astros might take a step back, but the problem in this division is look what the Rangers have done. I mean, goodness, you know, uh, the middle of that infield with uh, Seager and Simeon is just going to be lethal uh, offensively. Uh, the Mariners have gotten better, you know, just Oakland, you know, <laughs> they may take a step back. I guess what I'm saying is even though some teams are taking a step back, others are taking a step forward and the angels, it's just hard to tell where, you know, if they've made really big strides, you know, you could say, uh, you know, they signed uh, Glacius to close, but they had him the last, you know, they've had him for two years. So it was really important to re-sign him, but, you know, does he make that, you know, is he an upgrade? No, he's basically, he's the same as they've had for the last two years. So they need to make some additions. They need to bolster the rotation. They probably need at least one more really good back-end relief, uh, reliable reliever. But, you know, there's going to be a lot, if this lockout ends soon, it's going to be a lot of action on the trade front. Uh, there's going to be a couple of good free agents who are still out there. Um, but to me, they just need to make at least one more impact move to really be considered a contender. 
yeah, we'll see what they do after the lockout ends, hopefully sooner rather than later, although uh, things are not looking optimistic at this point. But we'll continue to have lots of great baseball content for you, regardless here at Baseball America. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight, as always. Always a pleasure, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mike DiGiovanna, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Two, two pitch. Swing and a long-